Greetings, brethren. Welcome to the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, 2022. Now, time has been marching on. The world has been developing toward the end. Different things are starting to fall in place. And we'll get some updates on those things after the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. And today is a special day because it has to do with all of those who have entered into eternal life through the millennium. And this has all been under the direction of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and all of the sons and daughters of God in the first resurrection. And this is the great harvest for a thousand years. And that's quite a thing. Amazing indeed. And what's going to happen? Okay. We know, as we covered a lot of these things, that all during the millennium, people are going to be entering into the kingdom of God. And we know, let's come back here to Isaiah 65. Then we'll look at some other things showing what God is going to be doing all during the millennium. And it all fits together. Isaiah 65. So the question always becomes, how is God going to work it so the people will enter into the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, one of the complications that comes up is, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, that is in Adam, we all die. And it's given to man and woman once to die. Now, how is that going to work during the millennium? All right. Let's come here to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, and we will see something very interesting take place. Okay? 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. Now, here Paul is writing about the return of Jesus Christ. When he comes back to the earth and the trumpet of resurrection, which we know is the seventh trump of the book of Revelation. Let's pick it up here. Chapter 4 and verse 13. Now we're going to learn something here so that we can understand how the transformation from flesh to spirit occurs. Now we know what Jesus said about himself, that he's able to make himself appear as a spirit being or as a human being, and he called it in the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, flesh and bone. 
Now, he didn't say flesh and blood because true fleshly existence needs flesh and blood. But when Jesus appears as a human being, he's coming from spirit to the appearance of being human. And it looks just like flesh, and all flesh hangs on the bones, right? So flesh and bone. Okay. But what happens when Jesus returns? The question becomes then, how many are still alive in the flesh when Jesus returns, and what's going to happen to them since they did not die and put, having been put in the grave? All right. Verse 13, but I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, if you die in the faith, God calls that you have fallen asleep or a sleep waiting the change. Now, we also know what happens is that when we die, the Spirit returns to God, Ecclesiastes 12. And we also know that in other chapter 12, in Hebrews 12, that under the altar, there are the spirits of just men, and when it says men, it means men and women, made perfect. So when the Spirit goes back to God, it's much like you would say a chip in a computer. Everything you need is on that chip, but it can't come to life unless it's put into the machine to do it. Either a camera or a computer or transfer it to a smartphone. So likewise, the spirits of just men made perfect are just like that. And they have to be put into a spirit body in order to become spirit. Okay, so let's continue on here. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in exactly the same way also, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Why? Because all of those who are in the grave are going to rise and meet Christ in the air. Now then, those who are still alive, but converted and have the Spirit of God, let's read on. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, shall in no wise precede them that have fallen asleep. So all the dead be raised first. Okay. Now I'm going through this so we will understand Isaiah 65 considerably better. Because the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout of a command, with a voice of an archangel, 
and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now notice the next verse, because Paul fully anticipated that Christ was going to return in his day. Now then, later we know he understood that it wouldn't happen. Now, let's think on this for a minute. First Thessalonians was the first epistle that Paul wrote. Okay? So let's read verse 17 with this in mind. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds for the meeting with the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. Okay? So we're caught up in the air, and as we know from Pentecost, this giant sea of glass up there, and we don't know how many saints are going to be there, but that, as we know with Pentecost, going to be a great and grand and glorious day. So what happens? Okay? Being changed... We also know that that can also mean metamorphosed, changed instantly. So what it is, the physical body dies, bang, instantly, and then we're completely spiritual. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's come back to Isaiah 65, because Isaiah 65 tells us what's going to happen every generation all during the millennium. All right? Now, when we come back to the earth to start the millennium, as we have covered, the earth is going to be just in great heaps of destruction. And it's going to have to be all straightened out. And then we began the process of conversion for those who repent and are baptized. Okay? And the whole process goes on for a thousand years. But let's pick it up here in Isaiah 65 and verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, okay? Because the earth is so messed up, the recreation of it by putting it back in order is what's going to happen. Now then, this is also a projection and, and a prophecy of the spiritual new heavens and new earth which all the sons and daughters of God will live in, what? New Jerusalem. And those who were converted during the millennium and afterward will live in areas on the earth. And they're called, in Revelation 21, the nations that are saved. All right? So, When you read something like this, you can think that it has more than one meaning, which it does. 
The former things will not be remembered nor come to mind. Let us be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. So, the whole process of people coming in to the kingdom of God is creation. Plus, recreating everything that's on the earth. Reestablishing the climate. Reestablishing the balance between rain and the oceans and wind and everything like this. And we'll see to make the whole earth productive. I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem. As we have seen, Christ and the saints come back to the earth and their feet touch the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives splits in two. That's New Jerusalem. And then the great tabernacle. There's not going to be any temple during the millennium. Be a great tabernacle of God. Now, who all is going to be there, we don't know. But we can come up there. People can come up to a certain place, but not go on beyond into the area that's only for spirit beings. And it's going to be an awe to see that great tabernacle. And it's going to have the light like it was when they came out of Egypt. The light at night and the cloud by day. And there will be the throne of Jesus Christ. And all the patriarchs and the kings who were good kings, all the prophets, that'll be something, okay? And the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Now here's the one verse that's the tricky one. So we've got to understand that as clearly as we can. All right? There will not be an infant who lives but a few days nor an old man that has not filled his days. So this shows there's going to be full life, no premature death, and we'll see in a minute they'll live to be 100 years old. Okay? Now always remember this. And in this, all physical people, all through the millennium, and after the millennium into the last great day, will still have free moral agency. Okay? Because everyone must choose. God isn't going to take any shortcuts. He's not going to take away free moral agency because he wants us to choose to love him with all our hearts and mind and soul and being. And this is the basic thing that we're going to be teaching and helping people practice, see? So let's read on here a little more. Verse 20, For the child will die 
a hundred years old. Okay. Now, as we pointed out, they come to a hundred years old, and then this death to be transformed from flesh to spirit and enter the kingdom of God will be instantaneous. It will be almost like there was no death. But since the body is transformed from flesh to spirit, then the flesh died instantly and replaced instantly with a spirit body, a spirit mind, and everything like that. Okay? So that takes care of those who are converted. Now let's follow along. But the sinner who is a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now what does that mean? That means this. They will not receive eternal life. And if they are accursed, that means when they come to their hundredth year and they haven't repented, they're going to be buried. And a burial will be that which shows that they have sinned the unpardonable sin. All right. Now let's review again the things that we know, what God does for those who sin. And this will be all through the millennium. Okay. Those who are righteous, when they come to 100 years old, will be changed from flesh to spirit. And this means that they have to come to see themselves, repent of their sins, believe in Jesus Christ's sacrifice, because Jesus Christ's sacrifice is going to cover everyone's sins from the beginning of the creation of the world until the end for all of those who repent. But those who don't repent will not receive that forgiveness. And they will not be changed to spirit being. So what's going to happen to them? We know the example in the Bible is this, that in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? They were removed out of the garden. Right? Garden of Eden. Okay. Now, we don't know about their repentance or lack thereof. The only one we know who was righteous there was Abel. Okay. Now then, being removed from the Garden of Eden was an exile away from God. Now, we also know that when Cain killed Abel and he didn't repent, oh, he was sorrowful because he thought he was going to lose his life, or that when someone else would see him, they would kill him. But what happened to Cain? He was exiled further away from God. into a land 
of wandering. Now, we don't know where that was because that was destroyed in the flood, as well as the Garden of Eden. And so God, then after the Garden of Eden was destroyed in the flood, was in heaven and would come to the earth and deal beginning with Noah and then later Abraham, deal with the patriarchs on a one-to-one basis through personal appearance and through visions and dreams. Okay. Now then, what happens to the sinner who dies a hundred? Well, let's see what will be at hand. If they sin during the millennium, we're going to point out to them that they have been sinning. Okay? Let's see that in Isaiah 30. And they will be given a chance to repent, just like with us. God gives us a chance to repent when we sin. And what is the sacrifice that covers our sins? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his blood. What's going to cover the sins of those who repent during the millennium? The sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Okay. Now, so we will be teaching, as it shows here, in Isaiah 30. Okay. Let's read it here. Okay. Now let's come to Isaiah 30 and verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Okay. Now that's for us now. But that's all for those in the millennium. See? They're going to have to live a hundred years. All right? For all my people who dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the voice of your cry. And when he hears it, he will answer you. Now that's really going to be quite a thing. The relationship between the people and God and the children of God who are teaching them is going to be a marvelous thing indeed. And although the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Now, what does this tell us? This tells us that people will have difficulties because even converted people have trouble with, with sin. Isn't that true? Yes. Well, what about those during the millennium who are converted? Is life just going to be not a trial one? I don't think so. It says here, though he gives you these things, the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers shall not be removed in a corner anymore. We will be there to help them 
get out of their troubles and help them repent. Okay? Now that's going to be a great thing indeed. But your eyes shall see your teachers. They're going to see us. Just think of the interaction between the people that God gives under the charge of each one of us and our relationship with them. Okay? Makes you wonder what's the Sabbath going to be like? How's that going to be done? See? And on the holy days, will we hear direct from Jerusalem in live services coming right down to where we are? Now, here today, we have live services with the camera and internet. Well, what's it going to be like when God is running things? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but it's going to be fantastic indeed. We can be guaranteed that. Okay. Now, notice what will happen. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left hand. Okay, now what does that mean? This shows there's free moral agency. Now, even though, even though it's not quite as intense as it is today, it's still going to follow the pattern that we find in Deuteronomy 30. So let's go there. Because this is exactly what God did with Adam and Eve. He gave them free moral agency. He told them what to do. And well-educated before the serpent was released upon them. So here in Deuteronomy 30, okay, and let's pick it up here. Here's what it's going to be. All during the millennium, See? And all the saints will be there to make sure that it happens. All right? Let's pick it up here in verse 15. Okay? No, verse 14. Now, this is an interesting verse. So let's read it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may do it. Now, that's a prophecy. Because you see, unless you, by study and by living, and them during the millennium, by study and by living, and us teaching them, okay, notice what it says. Because this did not happen. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Okay. Now the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may do it. Now the only application to them at that time was that it was written and spoken in the language that they used. Okay. But take this as a prophecy. Let's apply this to the Day of Pentecost back in Acts, the second chapter. What happened on that day with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Everyone heard the word of God 
and about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, each one in his own language, that they may hear it and that they may do it. Now, all did not do it, but that's an example of what we're talking about, see? So you project that forward. Now, whatever language we're going to have during the millennium and in the kingdom of God as spirit beings, we don't know. But God says it's going to be a pure language and no more false gods, see? So you see, when you read the scriptures, think about the vast application that it has. Now, why is this so? Because Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Okay? And since everything's going to lead to conversion and eternal life, it's going to apply. All right? Now, verse 15. Behold, I set before you this day life and good, death and evil. We'll set that before all people during the millennium. And then I command you, this is what God wants. Okay? Now, we can get a lesson out of this. That applies to all of them from that time forward on down to the time of Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes and we receive the Holy Spirit, now it applies to us in the spirit of the law. And that God is interested in our hearts and in our minds and conversion. And, of course, that's what it's going to be all during the millennium. See? Okay. Now, verse 16. And that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, so that you may live and multiply? Yes. All during that time? All during the time when the church was established? And all during the time during the millennium? So you see how you can take the word of God and see where it fits in all of those categories. And the Lord your God shall bless you, in the land where you go to possess it. Now, follow this along with Isaiah 30 that you will see your teachers and you will hear a word behind you. Okay? But if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, well, that'll happen. Now, we saw what happened when those who don't hear rebel. They're removed. Well, that will be that way during the millennium. They will be first removed to a place where then they can come to repentance. You might call that the repentance center, where they can be away from everybody else. They can be there for special instruction. They can be there for prayer and study. They can be there for repentance, and if they repent, then they're returned back to the community. See? 
Now, if they don't repent, they can't come back to the community. And that's all during the millennium. So where are they going to go? Well, we'll see in a bit. We'll tell you where it is. It's in the geographical area of Gog and Magog. So if they stay there and never repent and die a hundred, they are buried there. Okay? Now let's read Deuteronomy 30 and verse 17. But if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, a choice. Now, I want to play for you a clip, about a two-minute clip of someone who was urged by his family to give up sin and to give up the drugs. Now, this is quite a thing. No one could persuade him. So we're going to put that two-minute clip in right here. So watch it. My dear Matthew, I'm here because I love you. You're my son, and I'm so concerned and worried about you. You're damaging your body. The accidents that could have been deadly, it's a matter of time until someone's killed. These people can help you. Will you please get help now and treatment? <clears throat> no. Please. No. Please, Matthew, will you take this help today? Uh, no, I, I don't, I'm not interested in the help you guys are offering. Okay. Well, your life is going to change today either way. So let's tell him how things are different if he doesn't go. I'll go to the courthouse this week and file for a restraining order that you have to be 600 yards away from the baby. Please get help for yourself. No. Matthew, if you say no to treatment, you will not return to the condo. I will change the locks. Please accept this help today. No. Matthew, you're not going to have a place to live. I'm sorry, but no. Okay, Mom. No more money, Matthew. So is the answer no? Yeah. All right. So I want you to go outside and turn this phone off while we finish this. Do it now. Turn this off. <laughs> it isn't working. Well, it's not over yet. Here, turn off his fan care. It's not over yet, honey. They're asking you to leave your best friend, which is Duster. I get it. But today is the day. So if the answer is no, take a hike. Matthew, please say yes. Oh, no. Please, please, Matthew. I just don't want to do it. All right, now that you have seen that, isn't it something how strong free moral agency really is? That they can absolutely refuse repentance and salvation by choice. Okay? So let's read it, verse 17. But if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. 
Now, there won't be other gods there during the millennium, okay? But there will be other sinners out there with them. Now, what kind of society do they do out there in Gog and Magog? We don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Let's look at this. Whenever you reject God and refuse to repent. Now, during the millennium, there won't be other gods. And in Gog and Magog, there won't be other gods. But each person who refuses makes him or herself a god by saying to themselves, I won't do it, meaning I'm better than what God has to offer. So, in effect, what happens? Those who do that become their own God and make their own rules and are glad to be away from all of those self-righteous people in the kingdom of God and live out there in Gog and Magog so they can have freedom and choice and do whatever they want. They just like the world today. But if your heart turn away so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away, worship other gods and serve them, I denounce to you this day that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days on the land where you pass over Jordan to possess it or being sent off to Gog and Magog. Your days in Gog and Magog are numbered. When you're a hundred, you're going to be accursed. That means no eternal life. Okay? Now notice what God wants. Verse 19. And this is true all during the millennium. See? Now see how great that the word of God is and how it can be applied in so many different ways, in so many different time settings, right? See, because it's eternal. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live that you may love the Lord your God and may obey his voice and may cleave to him, for he is your life and le the length of your days, so that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And the kingdom was promised to whom? Abraham. Hebrews 11. He was looking for the city whose architecture and builder is God. That's the kingdom of God. So you see how all of this transpires going clear back there. So this is what it means in Isaiah 30, how we're going to be with people there and help them 
And what's going to happen when they do not repent? All right. Now let's come to Jeremiah 31. Now here is a prophecy of God bringing Israel out of captivity and back to the new heaven and earth created on the earth during the millennium so that they may live, so that they may have children, so that God's plan will continue. And this will be for all nations as well. Okay. Now he says this. Verse 24, chapter 30. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it. That is the end time prophecies. And until he has fulfilled the purposes of his heart. That applies in the millennium, okay? In the latter days, you shall understand it. Now then, we come to chapter 31, which says, at that time, what time? The latter days, says the Lord. I will be the God to all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Wonderful. Thus says the Lord, the people who were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I will go to give him rest. That's what it's called in Isaiah 11, as we have covered earlier. The rest of Christ is going to be spectacular. The Lord has appeared to me from afar, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, here's an interesting thing that we need to understand. God's love is everlasting. But as it is given and received, it is conditional. And what are the conditions? What did Jesus say? Eh? Now hold your place here and let's come to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Because likewise, this will also apply during the millennium. Okay? And as we will see during their great white throne judgment that we're going to see tomorrow. Okay? Now... Let's see how it, God's love, though it's everlasting, it never stops, because his love is always there. But for someone to come in with, into the realm of God's love and to receive God's love, here is the requirement. Okay? Let's see it, verse 15. Now notice, verse 15. If you love me. Keep the commandments, namely my commandments. That will apply during the millennium. That will apply in the white throne judgment. That does apply to today. That has applied in the past, as we read in Deuteronomy 30. See? So, brethren, we need to understand 
the marvelous thing about the Word of God, that it covers so much more than just what we think superficially by reading it. Okay. All right. So this is going to happen during the millennium. When the people repent and receive the Holy Spirit of God, see, and we're going to help the brethren at that time, the ones coming in through the time of salvation during the kingdom of God, we're going to help them understand it. So notice what Jesus said here. And I will ask the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that it may remain with you throughout the age. Well, what is the age that is coming? The millennium. Does the Holy Spirit remain with all those people who are converted throughout the age? Yes. Because those who live to be a hundred will be changed instantly. The sinner will be rejected and sent off to Gog and Magog and die accursed. Okay. Even the spirit of the truth which the world cannot receive because it perceives it not nor knows it, but you know it because it dwells with you and shall be within you. Same thing during the millennium. See? That's quite a wonderful thing to understand. Okay? And we will be there to assist. But God's Spirit, God the Father, is going to be given to each one who repents and is baptized, just like today. Now let's come to verse 19. Yet a little while the world shall see me no longer, but you shall see me because I live, you shall live also. Well, that happened to the disciples directly, but it's going to happen to us because we're resurrected, we're going to see Christ. That'll happen during the millennium. When they live to be a hundred and are changed from flesh to spirit, they're going to see Christ in a different way than they did when it was in the flesh. Okay? In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's the whole purpose of everything. See? Past, present, and future. All right? Now notice. Notice how this all ties together. Okay? The one who has my commandments and is keeping them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me shall be loved by my Father. See how that ties in with everything that we have covered and in all areas of God's relationship with those that are his? Yes. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, how does God manifest himself to us today? Through his spirit and through his word. How will God manifest himself to those during the millennium? Through us and through being able to hear Christ. 
and I'm sure be able to see him whenever he does appear so that people can see him. So, because this was hard to understand, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are about to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Well, let's put it this way. God is not going to manifest himself to the sinners during the millennium who reject him. They are going to be exiled. They are going to be removed. So Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, now then, we have loving the Father and loving Christ. That will also be during the millennium, right? And loving us. And we loving them going to be a marvelous thing okay and he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him in him see so as we have covered in a dwelling place for god the dwelling place for god today is in us okay The dwelling place for God in the millennium will be where he is personally, where Christ is personally, and for all of us, as the sons and daughters of God, where we are personally with the people. Okay? Now then, let's read on. Let's see again the warning against the sinner. The one who does not love me does not keep my words. Now that's an interesting study, isn't it? Huh? You might want to do that for personal Bible study. Write down what are the instructions of Christ. His word. Go through the four Gospels and figure it out. Okay? And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Okay? Because whatever the Father taught him to do, he did. Whatever the Father said to speak, he spoke. And isn't that what he told him back there in John 12? The words that I speak to you are not mine, but the one who sent me. And that's Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, let's come back to Isaiah. Okay? Well, let's do this. Before we come back to Isaiah the 31st chapter. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll be back. Now let's continue on with day seven of the Feast of Tabernacles 2022. Let's see some more things concerning the millennium. And, of course, it's quite amazing of how much is about the millennium and the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. But then the New Testament tells us how we're going to get into the kingdom of God and become spirit beings, and that is 
through conversion and the resurrection, which was not offered to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. But all of these prophecies are there. All right? Let's come to Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33 and verse 20. Now, this is quite interesting indeed, verse 20. Look upon Zion, the city of the holy gathering. Your eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet home. Who's going to be there? Jesus Christ, the patriarchs, the apostles. Okay. A tabernacle that shall not be taken down. No temple. Tabernacle. Not one of the stakes shall ever be removed, nor shall any of its cords be broken. But there the glorious Lord shall be to us a place of broad rivers and streams, typical of what? The Holy Spirit. And everything growing. Now, in which no galley with oars shall go, nor shall a mighty ship pass by it. Why? Because this is spiritually speaking of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 22, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Quite a thing. All during the millennium, that's going to be happening. That's going to be quite a thing indeed. Come back over here to Isaiah 25 and verse 6. Isaiah 25 and verse 6. Now also, remember what it said there in Isaiah 2 and in Micah 4, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be lifted up above all the mountains. Okay, That means all of the other countries. Okay. Verse 6. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts shall make a feast of fat things for all people. A feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of refined wines on the lees. And God will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering which covers all people. The blindness, like it says in Second Corinthians, the third chapter, that when the book of Moses is read, that there is a blinder on the eyes of the children of Israel. And then we have another thing, too, that there's the blinding of Satan, the devil, as told about in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Okay? He's going to destroy in this mountain, that's everything in the kingdom of God, the face of covering which covers all people and the veil which is woven over all nations, and he will destroy death forever. Okay, That includes during the millennium and the 100-year period. And the Lord our God will wipe away tears from all faces, and he shall take away 
from all the earth the rebuke of his people, for the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Okay? Now, let's read on just another verse here. And one shall say in that day, Lo, this is our God. Hey, what a great thing. All false gods removed, destroyed, all idols, gone. Okay? We've waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord shall rest in this mountain. Okay? And Moab shall be trampled under him, even as straw is trampled in the dung pit. Okay, let's come to Isaiah 32. Let's see what else is going to happen. See, because, and the thing that is so exciting, see, lots of time people in the church today because we're so scattered and because we hope that things will improve and there'll be a lot of people converted. Well, we don't know how that's going to happen, but God is going to be the one who's going to have to call them. But let's come here to Isaiah 32 and verse 15. Okay, here we are. Verse 15. Here's what it's going to be like. Until the Spirit of God is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is thought to be a forest. Huh. And justice shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. No more war. And we can add on to that the things that we have learned, how much wealth there's going to be, and there will be the Jubilee. There will be the seven-year land Sabbath, which means there will be no more recessions. Because that is what will bring balance to the economy. And men have never understood that and cannot do it. And what they want to do with this new world order they're trying to bring in, they're trying to bring in something that they think is going to make the world a better place. Well, it's going to make it a worse place. Only God can make it better, okay? And the result of right, righteousness shall be quietness and confidence forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable home and in secure dwellings, in quiet resting places. That's going to be something. All of that. Now we will also see that everything is going to grow abundantly. And it's going to be quite a task. Let's see what it describes it in Amos, the ninth chapter. Okay. Now imagine this today. Here we are today in the midst of all that we have. 
and were being threatened in this country that should be producing more food than any place else on the earth, which it normally does, were being threatened with famine. And all the people today following the new world economic forum system are collapsing. Look at Sri Lanka. They were forced to stop a lot of things to get rid of the the petroleum products. Well, the petroleum products used in the right way are good. But global warming is a scam to get all of these things upon the people. So now here we are. We're going to be facing shortages, maybe famine. You don't think that's possible? Well, look at Venezuela. Okay? Now, it isn't going to be that way during the millennium. No, no. There is going to be so much, and those who work the land, the thorns and thistles of the curse of Adam will be removed. Think of what that's going to be like. Think about food that has no weed killer residue in it. Nothing but goodness and nutrition. Okay? Amos 9, verse 13. Here's what it's going to be like during the millennium. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. As soon as it's reaped, they're going to be out there plowing, ready to go. See? And the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And the mountains will drop sweet wine, and all the hills will flow with it. And I will bring back the exiles of my people Israel, and they shall build the cities. And we saw how they're going to do it rebuild them, and we saw how that it's going to be so great that stones will be like silver. Okay? Copper and brass will be like gold. Think of the economic stability that will be there. Okay? Look at it. Shall build the cities which are desolate, and they shall live in them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall also make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant them in their land and every nation in their inheritance. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now that's quite a Quite a blessing for us, isn't it? Okay. Now, let's come to Psalm 145. This is quite a psalm. Okay. Psalm 145, because this tells us what the millennium is going to be like for a thousand years. (laughs) Just happen to think. What's it going to be like when all of these dictators 
like Adolf Hitler and Mussolini and Tojo and Napoleon. And all of these men lifted up through the history of the world saying that there's some great one going to bring great things and it all ends in catastrophe. Okay? What is it going to be like when they're raised and they see what God has done? Hmm. That's going to be something. Psalm 145, let's start in verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So you see, what is going to be started in the millennium will be multiplied in the great white throne period, which we'll cover tomorrow, and will be magnified in New Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and that will go on and on all during the millennium. Okay? And shall declare your mighty acts. And his mighty acts of setting up the millennium is going to be greater than all the destructions that he has to bring upon it in order to get rid of all the sin. Okay? I will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Now, what's it going to be like we're going to be telling the, the people that we are serving? This is how God looks in his glory. And they'll be able to see it from time to time. Okay? And of your wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of your awesome works. And I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the memory of your great goodness. And shall sing of your righteousness. Because all during the millennium, there'll be people coming in as spirit beings. And when you get to the last generation, how many will be there to give witness to tell that last generation what it was like all during the millennium, all coming down through there, huh? Okay. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Now think about that. How wonderful that's going to be. No fighting. No warring. No hassling. No killing. No crime. Wow. Going to be something. All your works shall praise you. O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. And they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known. Now think about this for a minute. What does it say? They're all going to know me from the greatest to the least. 
every single one, okay, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Go on forever. And once the last great day is over, a new heaven and earth are here, then God's going to unveil his plan, as we will see, for the vastness of the universe. Who? What's that going to be like? Huh? That's going to be something. Okay. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Okay. So that's what he's going to do. Now, let's look at some unfinished business that must be taken care of at the end of the millennium. So let's come to Revelation 20. Okay. Now this has to be done before the 100-year period. And what we know has been designated as the second resurrection. All right? Now, first of all, we know this, that when the millennium begins, Satan is bound in the abyss. So let's read that. Revelation 20 and verse 1. Then I saw a angel de descending from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. All during the millennium, his influence won't be there. But all of the uncorrigible wicked will have been removed to Gog and Magog. And when they live a hundred years and they're still sinners, they die and are buried in Gog and Magog. And they'll be resurrected for the lake of fire. But let's continue on with this. Then he cast him, that is Satan, into the abyss and locked him up and set a seal over him. Now, wherever Satan goes, all the demons go. Okay? So they will be bound and removed. Okay? So that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were fulfilled. So here we are, seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, picturing the thousand years being fulfilled. So here's the unfinished business. And after that, it is ordained that he be loose for a short time. Okay. Then it talks about the first resurrection, all of those who were in it. Blessed are those who were in the first resurrection. But let's read verse 5. But the rest of the dead do not live again till the thousand years were completed. Okay. So the thousand years have to be completed, and with this final act of God, to close the thousand-year period. 
And that is when Satan is removed. So let's see what he does. Verse 7. Now when a thousand years have been completed, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. That's Satan and all the demons together. Okay. And he shall go out to deceive the nations that are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now then, it's Gog and Magog, the geographical territory, where all the incorrigible will be. And all the incorrigible who die will be buried there. But there will be those who will still be alive. So Satan is going to go out, okay, and it says, of whom the number is of the sand of the sea. So we don't know how many people are going to to really reject salvation in that last generation. But there are enough to say, like the sand of the sea. So that shows how powerful that free moral agency is. Okay? To gather them together for war. Now, what's the first thing that Satan always does? War. Deception and war. You can take that and watch anything concerning history, and that's what you will find. Now notice, so he gathers them all together. You can almost you can almost imagine what Satan is going to say when he's released out of the prison and all the demons with him, and he goes to the area of Gog and Magog, where all the incorrigible sinners who are still alive are living. And he comes there, and he shows himself in great power, and says, look, you've been deceived. And now what Satan always says? Yes. The God that's down at Jerusalem is not the true God. I'm the true God. And what we can do, since we know that they are not defended, and since we know that they're all at peace, now what we're going to do, we're going to gather ourselves together in armies. And I have all of my angels with me who are going to teach you how to war, how to fight, and we're going to have you develop into the greatest fighting machine that the world will ever see. And we will go down and take over Jerusalem, and we will remove the one who says he's the true God, and we'll take over the world, and we will rule the world. Same story that Satan always brings. So let's see what happens. Verse 9, Then I saw them go up upon the breadth of the earth and encircle the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Okay? There they come all around. They're thinking, boy, we're really going to get it. Look, we're coming right up there. Look, there's nothing there's doing to try and stop us. 
We have free reign to go there, just like I told you, see? And we go there and we'll defeat them and we'll rule the world. Okay? Well, God has a special surprise for them. All right? Let's read it. And encircled the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and consumed them. Huh. The last war. Right here. Doing what the first war was intended to do. When Satan rebelled and took a third of the angels with him, like it says in Isaiah 14, he said, I will become like the Most High. I will go to the sides of the north, and I will take over the throne of God. And a third of the angels believed him. Okay. Remember, he and the angels with him were created by God to serve human beings. But when they found out that the human beings who were converted and changed would be ruling over them, they rebelled. Okay? So, here's the last rebellion. Here is the last war. Let's see what happened to them. Verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, here's the correct translation. Okay? Because we're going to cover something here in just a minute. Okay? Where the beast and the false prophet had been cast, because can flesh and blood live in a fiery environment? No. The beast and the false prophet, before Satan was captured and put away, were cast where? Into the lake of fire, and they were burned up. Now, we have another thing that is found in the Greek, which is not necessarily known by the translators. The plural is used for casting the devil into the fire. That's in the Greek. Why would the plural be used? The only reason that would be is because the plural applies to Satan the devil number one and all of the demons number two. You got to get rid of them, right? Cast into the lake of fire. Okay. And they, Satan and the demons, shall be tormented day and night into the ages of eternity. All right. But the torment is not in fire. Let's see what it is. Okay. Let's come to Matthew, the eighth chapter. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. And we're going to see, and I will give you a corrected translation in two places. 
But here in Matthew 8 and verse 24. Let's come there. Matthew 8. Let's come to verse 28. When he came to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two who were possessed by demons coming out of the tombs, so violent that no one was able to pass by that way. And they cried out at once, saying, What have you to do with us, Jesus, the Son of God? Now think about that. The demons knew this. How long did they know this? Well, from the time they were cast down to the earth. Now notice what they say. Have you come to torment us? Now torment us before the time. Okay. Now, let's look at two other places. Let's come to Mark, the first chapter, verse 20. And let's see, when you read there in Matthew 8 and verse 29, torment us, that indicates that they will be living, right? Can you torment someone who's destroyed? See? Now, there's always this question. Can God destroy Satan? Well, he could. But that's not the right question. What does God want to do with Satan? And for what purpose? See? Now, here we have in Mark 1 and verse 23. Now, this is when he was in the synagogue, completely different from the one who was in the tombs. Okay? Now, in their synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit, and it cried out, saying, Ah, what have we to do with you, Jesus, the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? One says torment, indicating they will be living. This one says destroy. But does that really mean to eliminate so that they have no longer any existence. Well, further study into the Greek found out that it could be and should be translated this way. Have you come to bring us to nothing? Now, the word destroy, even in English, You've heard people say, oh, you've destroyed my life. Well, no, you're still living. But everything that you have done has been ruined. Okay? No, you're still alive. So this means to bring them to nothing rather than to destroy. Just like in Ezekiel 28, where it talks about the king of Tyre, who's going to be destroyed, 
While he was possessed with Satan, the devil, the king was destroyed, but Satan continued on. Okay? Because that which is spirit and spirit beings, they live. Okay? So, have you come to bring us to nothing? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now let's see the same thing in Luke chapter 4 and verse 34. Okay? The same thing. So here we have, just like the English word destroy can mean also to bring to nothing. And you've heard people say, you've destroyed me. You've destroyed my life. You've destroyed my career. No, they're still alive. Now here in verse 33. All right. Here's the same account by Luke. Now a man who had an unclean spirit was in the synagogue and he cried out with a loud voice saying, Ah, what have we, we, now this is referring to all the other demons. What have we to do with you, Jesus the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? No, should be. Have you come to bring us to nothing? How are they going to be brought to nothing? We'll see it a little bit. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay. Now then, what's going to happen to the demons? What's going to happen to Satan? All right. Let's see what the fate is going to be and why God does it. Let's come to the book of Jude. All right. Book of Jude is quite quite a book. It's a small one chapter book, but it tells us an awful lot. Okay? The book of Jude. Now let's pick it up here in verse five so that we can understand what's going to happen to them. Now, when he talks about evil men and demons, he weaves them back and forth. So we have to see that when we read these verses. And then we end up with the ultimate punishment for Satan and the demons, which will be forever. Okay? Verse 5. But I myself want to remind you, though you once understood this, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, the second time destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, here we go, and the angels who did not keep their original dominion, which was the earth. And they went with Lucifer to ascend to God's place in heaven to dethrone him, as we find in Isaiah 14, and in Ezekiel 28, and in Revelation 12, okay? 
The angels who do not keep their original dominion, but deserted their habitation, he is holding in eternal bonds under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So the first punishment was they had, they were in darkness. That means in total evil. And the judgment of the great day is the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around, surrounding them, in the same manner as they, having given themselves over to sexual debaucheries and having gone after different flesh, are themselves exhibited as a perpetual example of undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, it's the fire that's eternal, not the eternal punishment by fire. Because when fire came upon Sodom and Gomorrah, everything was burned up. All the people evaporated, just like dropping the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Boom! The people right around where that came down were just vaporized. Okay? Verse 9. In the same way also, these dreamers of filthy dreams are defiling the flesh. Now that is all of those who are men who come preaching another Jesus, another God, and the false doctrines of Satan the devil. Okay? They're defiling the flesh and are declaring it is as invalid the lordship of God. That's what they do. You think of it. Look at the terrible abominations of the Roman Catholic Church down through time and of all of the pagan religions down through time. And even the Protestant religion now is getting caught up in it. Okay? And are blaspheming the divine powers. But Michael the archangel, when he was personally taking issue with the devil disputing about the body of Moses, did not presume to pronounce a railing judgment against him, but said, the Lord himself rebuke you. Okay? And who's taking care of all of that? Back in Revelation 20, the Lord. As for these, whatever things they do not understand, they blaspheme. That's what they've done with the Bible. That's what they did with Christ. That's what they've done with the prophets. That's what they've done with the apostles and the true preachers of the word of God. But whatever things they understand by instinct as irrational brute beasts, they are corrupting themselves in these things. Woe to them who've walked after the way of Cain. Goes all the way back there, right? And for gain, they who have wholly given themselves up to Balaam's delusion and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are subversive stains in your love feasts. Shows they were keeping the feast of God. Okay. These are the terrors of Matthew 13. These are the false teachers that would come in. Yes. All right. We'll see a little more on this in a minute. Feasting in person together with you fearlessly, 
They are feeding themselves. They are clouds without water. Now here's the blending to show that these men were demon-possessed, Satan-possessed, and they're going to suffer this punishment of Satan and the demons forever. Let's read it. They are clouds without water, driven by the winds, trees of late autumn, without any fruit, uprooted, twice dead. All the human beings who commit the unpardonable sin are going to die twice, and they will be gone forever. Okay? Raging waves of the sea, casting up like foam their own ignominious shame. Now it shifts to the angels that sinned. Wandering stars. That's the power behind all of the evil people of the world down through all time. Wandering stars. That is Satan and the demons. Okay? For whom has been reserved. Now listen to this. The blackest darkness forever. So that's the punishment of Satan and the demons. Okay? Now, let's come to Second Peter. All right? So let's pick it up right here in verse 9. Second Peter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unrighteous to the day of judgment to be punished. Okay? That's people. They'll go to the lake of fire. That's demons. We'll see go to outer darkness. Okay? But particularly those who walk after the flesh and corrupting lust, who hold in utter contempt the lordship of God, they are, are audacious and self-willed. They are not afraid to blaspheme the divine powers, whereas angels, who are greater in strength and power, do not bring a railing condemnation against them before the Lord. But these, as irrational brute beasts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheme those things of which they are ignorant, and shall be utterly destroyed in their own corruption. Now, that's the men who are possessed. They will be utterly destroyed. But spirit does not die. Spirit cannot be destroyed. They bring upon themselves the reward of unrighteousness while finding pleasure in satisfying their lustful desires day by day, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their own deceptions and feasting together with you. Remember when that happened in our church in our day? Remember that? Okay. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, they are engaged in seducing unstable souls having a heart trained in lustful cravings, cursed children. Now think about this for a minute. 
I don't think we understand the gravity of what they have done with all the false doctrines and Sunday worship and holiday worship and abortion and setting up societies that are evil and corrupt and rotten. Okay? That's why they're going to die the second death. But the demons that inspired them and the demons that did it down through generation, 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 through the whole history of mankind, we'll see they get their punishment like it was in Jude. Cursed children, now verse 15, who have abandoned the straight way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the reward of wickedness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression, the dumb donkey speaking in a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These false prophets, think about the false prophets, everywhere they are, and we have to be especially careful today because Jesus said, there shall arise false Christ and false prophets who shall show great signs and wonders, if possible, to deceive the elect, right? Okay. These false prophets are fountains without water, clouds driven by a storm for whom is reserved the blackest of darkness forever. Now, in order to be held in the blackest darkness forever means that Satan and the demons live forever in blackness and darkness cut off from God. Now, what's going to happen? I do not know. Will there be a place in the universe that God is going to put them all together? And when they're all there, and we know they are there, will this not give us understanding for all time, down through eternity, that rebellion never prospers? Okay? Yes, indeed. So this is the rest of the story of Satan that is fulfilled at the end of the millennium when the thousand years are completed, first they're cast into lake of fire. Boom! And then they are removed to the blackest darkness forever. Then God is ready to bring in the last great day and the greatest harvest of all. So come back tomorrow for the eighth day. See you then.